Uh, hello again. We have our Spanish translation. If you'd like to dial in, that should be up on the screen. You can hear the uh, sermon live translated in Spanish. And if you're a King's kid, you can head on out to King's Kids or head on up to King's Kids. And the good news today is I feel like there's, we're coming through, you know, the dark tunnel of Hebrews chapter, you know, six all the way through chapter 10. And we're at the end of chapter 10 now. And as we remember, Hebrews is a letter of exhortation, of warning, but it's also a letter of encouragement. And now we start to get some of that encouragement. So we're going to go through Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. Now, this is coming off the heels of a very difficult message the writer was giving about apostasy and turning from God and going in the complete direction, uh, opposite direction, saying, I am leaving the Christian faith. I am not coming back. Jesus's blood is not going to atone for my sins. I'm going to go back to the old covenant sacrifice, the blood of bulls and goats. And so there was a strong warning. But now we see, of course, that three-letter word that we always love to see, and that is but. And so verse 32 says, But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession, a lasting possession. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that way, you have, when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And now verse 37 and 38 are actually from uh, Habakkuk, which Hubert just read. <clears throat> verse 37, for yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then finally, verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So he's saying, we're not like what I've been talking about up to this point for the past couple of chapters. No, we, those that are part of Christ's covenant community, those have faith to the preserving of the soul. And so a very different message today, a little shift of gears. I would say the best way to, to title this message would be endurance, even though I don't typically title messages, but it would be endurance. Do we have endurance? According to a 2016 New York Post article, more than 50,000 runners take part in the New York City Marathon each year. I know many of you here are familiar with this. But not everyone makes it to the finish line. Marathon, our marathon officials say only about 1.3% will fall away, but that's 650 people out of the total amount that start. So of the 50,000 participants, 650 people get the DNF stamp. Dude, did not finish. 
or dude not finished. <laughs> For those who can't finish, it's a 26.2 mile race apparently. If they can't finish the race in six and a half hours, and this is something I never knew until this article, um, if they decide to give up along the way, there's something that comes by called the sweep bus. The sweep bus comes and picks you up. It patrols the route of the marathon for those that can't make it. Some have victory in just attempting. We're not taking away from that. But others see it as a personal defeat if they don't finish and if they end up on that bus. Now, in a marathon, you can have victory by just attempting. But that does not happen in Christianity. You don't get a, you know, a, a, a G for good effort with God. You don't get, let's say, in by doing good things or by be having a good uh, stamina or endurance as it relates to your flesh. Don't get me wrong, it requires endurance, but the sweep bus of Christianity, unfortunately, is very desirable. It's like a party bus. Should I jump on this bus? Should I give up? It's desirable to the eye. We see it coming. We know that it's there. It's sort of a safety ground. But the problem is, is once we enter into that bus, it forever takes us in the wrong direction. And that's what they were talking about, this place of no return, apostasy. When people turn away from the faith and reject God, that stays with you forever. So like the endurance in a marathon, there's an end goal in Christianity. And that end goal is not something that is going to be given uh, or achieved, I should say, by, the, by necessarily the most physically fit, by the smartest, or the one with the most money, or whatever the world may use to judge that. That's not how it goes. We cannot impress God with our amazing talents to finish this race. We have to be like Paul, who says in 2 Timothy 6, um, 4, 6 to 8, he was speaking to Timothy, and this was at the very end of his life. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. You see, it implies that there was friction, there was difficulty. And even at the end of Paul's life, he was being poured out like a drink offering. You know, like we used to do, you know, we pour out a little for our brothers that weren't there. Well, they poured it out for Paul. His, his life is like shh, already dead, already gone. This man had struggled his whole life to finish the race and avoid that sweep bus. You see, the opposite of endurance <clears throat> is to gas out. And you, and you know what that means. You run out of gas. You run out of, out of wind. I was, I was uh, watching a fight, actually, last night, an MMA fight. And usually I don't watch it because I don't have the, the, the time to sit and watch a whole fight. Unless it's heavyweights. Because then I know the fight's going to last about 60 seconds. 
Because most of these guys are so big and they have so much muscle, they're all going for that knockout punch. And when they overdo it, they overdo it, they end up gassing out, and then somebody catches them, and that's it. Game over. Lasts about a round or so. They don't have it in the tank. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us, if you consider him the reader or the writer of Hebrews, is that we need endurance to finish this race. We cannot gas out. It also means quitting when things get hard. We give up not because necessarily we ran out of breath or, or stamina, but we weren't really prepared for the race. A lot of times the race is misrepresented by pastors and by Christianity in general. As we see here, remember the former days, which we're going to talk about in a second. And the former days for the Hebrews weren't that good. So the race is misrepresented. We enter it in thinking it's not going to require endurance, thinking that it's okay if maybe, you know, we, we bail back, we turn around. But Jesus said anybody that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. It's about finishing and about endurance. And when the things get in front of us that stop us, there's where the rubber hits the road. What are you going to do? You're going to turn around, turn around, or are you going to go through, go around, or go over? As a Christian, you won't turn back around. God will sustain you, and he will give you that route. <clears throat> we also see here in verse 39 that the opposite of endurance, I'm sorry, verse 38 and 39, is shrinking back. It says here in 38, my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back, speaking of those true believers. What exactly is shrinking back mean? Well, again, it's, it's like what we've been talking about. Those that fall away, they drift away. Why? Because they've neglected something. They've neglected paying attention when they were supposed to be paying attention to what the writers were saying or what the apostles were saying. They were paying attention to what the old covenant was saying and the Pharisees, what they were saying. And the, and, and the ones that were looking at them going, are you crazy for joining this cult, this way, as what they called it? You're going to stand before God. How are you going to get your sins atoned for? And so they would shrink back. See, in our Christian life, endurance is not for an athletic goal or a healthy life. Unfortunately, a lot of times people pack in or they throw that in the grocery bag with Christianity, happiness, health, wealth, all these other things when they don't belong there. What the writer is talking about here is something much greater than that, and that is a better possession, a lasting possession, the promise of the crown of glory. And like Paul, many arrive bruised and battered and barely crawling across the finish line. But they arrive, they finish. And see, that's a picture of the Christian life. If you have been taught otherwise, then I beg to differ with whoever said that. 
Now, I don't, don't get me wrong, there is, it's not a, a, a life of, of misery at all. It's a life of joy. But again, it's going to require endurance on your part. And the reason why is because you are involved. You see, God doesn't just want to save you and then bring you off somewhere to a, a blissful heaven. He's got work to do in you. And he uses the difficulties of your life and he forces you to push yourself Right? When you get on the stress test, you're pushed. Right, Run as fast as you can. Get that heart rate up. Let's see what it can do. Let's see what you can take. And that's what the Christian life is about. God is constantly accelerating and pulling back. Accelerating and pulling back. And each time, if you endure, you will grow. I find it interesting that endure doesn't always mean to charge forward and win. It has a different meaning as well. The actual word in the Greek is hypomony, like hypermony, hypomony, actually. Don't think of money. It's money. God, remember when Jesus said, um, my, I, my father has many dwelling places for you. He's talking about temporary dwelling places, money. Somewhere that's like, it's almost like something that stands and remains. But when you put that hypo, it's even lower. It's like a low-key maintaining, enduring. There's an aspect to it that means to stay still, to be still, not go backwards, but not necessarily push forward either because maybe you're not prepared for that. John 14.2 is what I was talking about. In my father's house, I, I think I misquoted it, are many dwelling places, many moni. It means to abide under constant and steady pressure. So you're pushed there. You can't move. Your feet are firmly in place. That requires endurance as well. That's sometimes the hardest, most difficult, is to stay where you're at. Oftentimes we don't care. Let's go backward, let's go forward, but don't keep me here. And then when we feel like giving up, we often have those things and those choices. And so we say... You know what? God is going to deal with me in this situation. I am going to stay. I'm not going to push. I'm not going to retreat. That's for sure. But I'm going to maintain. This happens all the time when God deals with us with ups, with downs, with unanswered whys. Why does this happen, God? Why did that happen? There's the point of endurance right there. What are you going to do when you don't have the answers? So there's a definite tie-in here with trust. We are to endure, to abide, to ride it out, and to trust. So endurance can be defined as tolerating with great physical, spiritual, or mental stamina a sometimes unpleasant or difficult situation without giving up. Now, for the world... This is a daunting task. It's a, it's a matter of coping mechanisms for the world. And that's what you are inclined to do. Just know that. When you are in that position, you will, you will automatically revert immediately to your flesh and say, how can I cope with this? How can I get rid of this pain, right? As soon as we have a headache, what do we do? We go for the Advil immediately. I can't have a headache. 
There's no way I could have a headache, right? Any little pain, sometimes we go to the doctor. What's this? What's that? And we, we want that instant feeling of, 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 of like the pressure being taken off. So what we do is we look, and a lot of times we revert back to our old coping mechanisms. And again, this is where Jesus says to us, stay. Like we were reading today in, 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 um, in Psalm 46, I believe. Be still. This was down in prayer. Be still and know that I'm God. With Christ, we can endure if we follow his model. Now, listen to what Paul says. Philippians 4, 12 to 13. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. This is Paul speaking. In every and any circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What is that secret, Paul? Well, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, that scripture, a lot of times used out of context, is in context today in, in relation to enduring suffering and trial. Especially when you're in prison or when you're under attack and all the churches you've planted are falling apart. And all the people that are around you are betraying you and, and, and leaving. That's the challenge. Who do you have left? You have Christ. Or you can go back, shrink back to destruction, which we don't want to do. And, and it's very easy in this text. I mean, he lays out how to get this endurance. He lays it out. Now, first of all, we have to see the context here of what's going on. The Hebrews, first of all, when you see uh, um, Habakkuk here, who, who is basically saying, in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Excuse me, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet during the time of Jeremiah. And he was pro God had him to prophesy like Jeremiah did, but in a different way. That the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, are coming. And if you read the three chapters in, Hose in Habakkuk, you'll see these guys are fierce. The way that he is, they are described by God. I would love to go through the book and show you some of these things. But go back on your own time and read that book. It'll take you like ten minutes, not even. But these were a feared people. And God said, they are your enemies. And guess what? That's how I'm going to judge you. I am going to judge you through your enemies. And then I'm going to punish them. But, but know this, they're coming for you because you have rejected me. Now this is exactly what's happening during the time of this letter. During the time of this letter in around AD 66, there was revolution in the air in Jerusalem. All the zealots were starting and picking fights with Rome. Come on in, let's go. Come on, Jesus will, or God will, not Jesus. God will come like he did before, like he did with Maccabeus, and like he did once we take a step out, he's going to show up. But God said, you've already missed the bus. That was Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the reigning king. He's defeating all the enemies, but in a different way. But because they finally rejected their Messiah, and they killed him, and crucified them, now God was going to use Rome, their enemy, their number one enemy, 
to pass judgment on them by wiping out the temple. So as you can imagine, just put yourself in this position right now. Imagine America being on the verge of God's judgment where it's where a prophet, you know, we know what's happening here. We've seen it in the past. God is going to bring a country in and he's going to wipe us out. Unless, you know, you may think that you're going to escape this judgment. You're not. The only way you're going to escape it, Jesus said, is by enduring to the end. And in context of that, he says, if you endure to the end, you're going to be saved. You're going to, as a Christian, Jesus promised that if they obeyed, he would spare them. Read Matthew 24. He tells them what to do, how to do it to avoid this catastrophe. But you know what they were saying? No, I don't believe that. I want to go. I believe that, 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 that this is going to be that we're going to win. We'll beat the Romans. So they're going to go back to that old temple system. They're going to go away from uh, Christianity. They are the evil one. They're going to go back. And so they were falling away. So the writer is telling them, look, make sure that you endure to the end. You don't want to shrink back to destruction. Although this has very much uh, is applicable to eternal destruction. It's not what he's talking about here. He's saying you're going to shrink back and you're going to be a part of it. Now, they didn't know all the details. This isn't, you know, uh, he wasn't. No, he knew that there was going to be destruction on Jerusalem because Jesus had said. But the writer tells them again how to build this endurance because they lacked it. And the first thing he says to them in verse 32, he says, remember, remember the former days. When you were first enlightened and you endured such trials, that almost sounds ridiculous to say, hey, remember when you first were converted, when God first came into your life, remember how all your possessions were taken away and how you were suffering and made a mockery and you were almost fed to the lions and the wild dogs. I want you to think about that and get some encouragement. What? We would be like, that's exactly the opposite. I don't want that to happen. How do I avoid that? But that's not Christianity, is it? Christianity is about, as Bonhoeffer says, coming to Christ to die. Now again, not physical death for everyone. I'm not saying that, although we will all pass that. But you are giving your life to God. And you're dying to yourself. And whatever God has for your life, you're excited for it. You may not be emotionally excited, but you're excited knowing you are doing the will of God and following the steps of your master, Jesus. And so remember that, that, that great conflict of suffering you had back then. Should I go? Should I not? What, what should I do? And then they chose Christ. They endured all these reproaches and tribulations. They shared with those who were also treated the same way. And there was joy in that suffering. They wanted them to remember those days. He didn't say remember how cool it was or how emotional you were or that prayer that you said. Nope, remember the trials you endured. And I hope that you can remember trials in your life that you endured. And where God had pulled you out. I hope everybody here can remember that. And if not, go back in your life, even before you knew Christ, and see the hand of God 
guiding you and delivering you and causing and creating circumstances to ultimately bring you to that place of confession and coming to Christ to be converted. Now these people, it cost them everything. Your identification with Christ during this Second Temple Judaism, uh, Christianity was, it was extremely dangerous. Many people lost their families. They were completely ostracized. The families would actually hold funerals for them. When you were a Jewish person and you went and converted to Christianity and they knew it was a fact, they would hold and uh, they would hire wailers and cry, people to scream and cry, and they would have a funeral. You were dead to them. They do this in other countries now that where Christianity is ran by uh, anti-conversion laws or a Muslim or Islamic sort of law. They have these laws that say, look, if this person does that, you're cut off. There's no, there's no middle ground. They wouldn't even recognize them on the street as existing. Now, it may not seem so severe and direct for us today, but guess what, people? It is coming. It's coming. You know, I just read, uh, I think, uh, yesterday uh, in, in Michigan, a couple of days ago, there was a bill passed to make it a crime to cause someone to feel threatened by your words. Okay, that's a pretty broad crime, right? That's very, very relative and subjective to whatever that person feels threatened by. Now, I could see threatening someone's life. I mean, that's obviously something that you're not to do. That's a, that could be a crime. But what they're trying to do is open the door here for this sexual orientation and gender identity as protective classes. It's baked into the law. So now if somebody comes up and I say, hey, how are you doing, sir? And he says, sir, what are you talking about? Just because I have a beard doesn't mean I'm a male. I'm going to sue you. Five grand or I think up to five years and $10,000. Now, it's just a bill. I don't think it's going to be passed eventually, but this is where it's going. Are you willing to stand up for Christ in those areas? Paul, again, he, he speaks to Timothy. We can learn about the endurance required and the persecution guaranteed 100% or your money back. 2 Timothy 3.10 Now you followed my teaching, my conduct, purpose, my faith, my love, patience, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not all those who are Christians will be persecuted. Those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Those who are willing to take a stand for God's word will be persecuted. You will be looked at as the problem. Are you willing to do that? This is where your endurance has to be ready to go. You can't put me right out on the street and say, Pat, let me see you run a mile because I'll probably pass out within a few steps. I hate running. I have zero endurance. Not to mention I have cartilage in both of my knees, two herniated discs, arthritis in my elbow, everything, you name it, right? I got all this different stuff. But I tell you what, if I knew I was going to have to run that mile, 
Guess what I would be doing? As banged up as I am, I would start preparing for that if I knew I had to do it. And as Christians, we need to start preparing for that sort of thing. Because I'm telling you, it will happen. It's just a matter of time. I'm not trying to be prophetic. I'm just being very logical and looking at what we're seeing in front of us every day. Again, it's not all, I, I, it's like sometimes we go to this extreme, you know, I haven't endured persecution. I don't even know what this is. I, it's my first time in church. What's going on, right? Or maybe you're, you're, you're listening for the first time, whatever. It's not just persecution. It's also, it's also weaknesses, difficulties. All of these things are going to require endurance. Difficult jobs, difficult assignments, Maybe assignments that compromise your faith. Relationships, like we talked about a few weeks ago, that compromise your faith. Physical pain. See, all of these things that happen in our life is training for us. It's training for that endurance that God uses to prepare us. And then again, verse 34, we talk, I mentioned this before, this is, a, this is a better possession and promise. And that's really the second thing that he's telling us to do to, to have this endurance. First thing is, you know, remember the former days. Remember how God had delivered you. Have that faith. Trust in him. He'll do it again. Don't give up. But then he's also talking here about having a goal as Christians. If your goal as a Christian is just to feel good or come to Bible studies and, you know, to, that's great. Maybe that's, that's fine. But God has a much, much bigger, bigger goal for you. He has a better possession. And he has a big old promise. And that's where we need to keep our eyes. You see, to get through any difficulty without purpose or a goal is almost impossible. You will not do it. You will look for the first reason out to escape when you hit that roadblock. But when you have a purpose and a goal that even transcends this age and even transcends your own purposes in your life to maybe have a good family, live a holy life and do all those things, God's bigger purpose dwarfs all that. It's not, we, oftentimes we frame Christianity around our salvation. It's me and my salvation, me and my, but it's really not about that. You're a part of that, but it's really about, this book is about God's redemptive plan for the world. Through Israel to the world. And that's what salvation and redemption and restoration, that's the framing now, we're a big part of that. Our salvation, we're in that. But it's not the, just our salvation. So the purpose has to be big for us to be able to endure. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So now he's, he's, he's take the marathon example. He's talking about winning now. He's equating those that don't give up with actually winning. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. And they have discipline. That's what he means there. They're disciplining themselves. 
And they do this to receive a perishable wreath on their head. Trophy. Little badge. A raise. Whatever it is. But this is something that he's talking about is imperishable. He says they do it for a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So Paul says, there's my motivation. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. He's just not throwing wild punches and saying, eventually I'll make a shot and connect. No, people that throw wild punches get knocked out by people who think and are precise. He wants specific training, discipline for this endurance. He boxes not as one beating the air, but he disciplines his body and makes it his slave so that after he preaches to to, to others, he may not be disqualified. I can understand that. And all of us should, because we're all mirroring Christ out to the world. The reason you'll endure is because of what is at stake if you don't endure. What is at stake if you don't endure? You'll give up if nothing's at stake. But we have much, a possession and a promise of not only eternal life, but those things that accompany salvation. Remember back in Hebrews 6, 9, we have better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, that allegiance to the one who died and saved you, pleasing him and being used to save others. You see, <clears throat> we have a better possession, better, better things to work for. There's nothing wrong with working for your life here and now. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with, you know, having a house and having food and having shelter and, and having it according to how God has blessed you. Nothing wrong with that. But it's when we put trust in those possessions and we, we, we make our joy based off of those possessions. We can have a nice house, but if it gets taken away, what do you do? You have really good health. You're feeling great. But then when your health fails, what happens? More money? Yep, that's good. It's going to be gone. False security? Things to think about, the things we are basing our security on. That absolutely could change in a second. People's opinions, our jobs, all the things we use to, to, to create our own identity. God wants us to say, okay, put those in their place, but I want your hope and your focus to be on the promise that I have given you. That hope of eternal life, but more than that, you're a part of that life unto the age to come. You're building towards it in all you do. That is a lasting possession that will not decay. That's why we can have decrepit bodies that get older and weaker as the days go by. But our spirit grows stronger and stronger as we rely and we endure for Christ. The eye towards the promise. Jesus says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. Think about that. I know it's one of those scriptures we hear all the time and you've already finished it in your mind. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But rather, 
Store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Again, treasures in heaven don't necessarily mean that's where you're going to get them. They're there like a meal in the fridge, right? You don't get in the fridge to eat it. You bring it out. And that's what he's talking about. When heaven comes to earth and becomes one, the treasures that you've stored there are going to come back tenfold, a hundredfold. But you have to trust. You have to trust in the process that what you're doing now, because you don't see what you're doing is being used. And that is a key, obviously, to endurance. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 35, therefore, don't throw away your confidence in these better possessions and better promises. Don't throw that confidence away, which have a great reward. Know that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. And next week, when we go to chapter 11, this is all about that and all about faith and all about those people who lived by faith and saw nothing as a result. Yet. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together right now until now. You see, Paul in Romans 8 there, he's saying, that's Romans 8, 18 to 22. He's saying that the end has begun. What I mean by that is that kingdom, that age that Jesus is going to bring in and lavish us with paradise and have everything be made new, The creation is going to change just as well. And that began then because of Jesus' resurrection. How much more is it still building and growing now? Finally, consider Jesus and his endurance. His goal. Hebrews, I'll jump ahead to chapter 12, 2 to 3. says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. It's almost like going to the last page of the book here because... Uh, I should say of this set of this chapter, even though it's a different chapter, because this is sort of a conclusion of what he's saying here. But by we get by the time we get there, we'll have forgotten all this. Hebrews 12, two to three, fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, because of the goal he had, because of what he saw, what he was launching, that better possession, he endured the cross. Because he knew that without the cross, it did not happen. He despised the shame. And what was that other thing he was looking at? He was looking at the throne of glory. You see, Jesus, again, when when, when Pilate asked him, you know, are you a king? He said, this is why I was born. He was born to be a king. He was born to sit on the throne of God. So he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This was his focus while he was on earth. That's why he could take the ridicule, blame, and hate from the people he created and die for them, even though they were his enemies. So let's consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus endured the cross, and he is the forerunner for us. He is your model of a successful marathon runner. 
He did not give up. Jesus didn't come and start just torching things, right? Nope. He ran slow and steady and he got it done. And that's what we have to do. A disciple is not above his teacher. We have to follow there. Now, I know this can be daunting. In verse 38, we see a very unique thing here. We see, but my righteous one shall live by faith. I don't know what it is, but people, a lot of people I've been talking to have have had questions like, how about the Old Testament? How do people get saved? What did they have to do? It's not the law they got saved by. They got saved by faith. Look at right here. My righteous one shall live by faith. Is anybody righteous outside of God's grace? No. That person that Habakkuk is talking about is going back to Abraham, who was justified by faith. He believed God, and it was accounted unto him as being faithful to the covenant that God had. Adam couldn't do that covenant. He broke it. But Abraham was considered faithful because of his faith. And that is the forerunner of Jesus, the ultimate faithful one. So we see here, don't be afraid of the race that's set ahead of you, that daunting race. No, don't worry about the unknowns. Don't dwell on what could have happened, because what's going to happen? You're going to shrink back. If he shrinks back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. So it's living by faith, which perseveres or preserves, I'm sorry, your soul. And it's impossible, impossible to please God without faith. So endurance is not only a a sign of the authenticity of your faith. Endurance and faith go hand in hand. Faith is a necessity for endurance. And endurance is a necessity for faith. It's the energy. It's the nucleus, right? The mitochondria of the cell, What happens in there? All the energy gets cranking away in there and it produces all sorts of things. That's what faith is to your endurance. You have to believe by faith. Endurance is something that is going to require boldness. One of my favorite Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Endurance equals boldness despite fear. Okay? It equals boldness. You're going to be bold when you endure, but the fear is what you're going to have to overcome. But you do it despite that. Now, in God's wisdom, he takes this whole entire concept or sequence that he puts his Christian, his, his people, the Christians through, that is, has so much wisdom in how he does it. So much wisdom on how he, number one, puts us in a position to have to suffer. He puts us in a position where it requires 100% endurance. And he pushes us often in our lives to the limit. But why does he do that? Well, look at, you don't have to go there, but 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5. And this is one of those times where I'll get a text, you know, from my pastor friends and they'll say, yeah, I loved your sermon, <clears throat> the first one. <laughs> I'll say, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, you preached three in that one service. 
I'm not trying to give you a different sermon. I think this ties in very closely, but you have to pay attention and really find the connection. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also the comfort is abundant through Christ. And so we see here that our, in our trials that we go through that require endurance, God is putting us in that so we can identify with the Master. We feel the affliction. We feel the suffering that, he's, that He went through. And those sufferings are ours in abundance. Now, Paul is talking about himself and the apostles in this context, but it applies to Christians just as much. But then on the other side of that is the comfort that Christ shows up with after we're afflicted. So it's the suffering that he's with us and he's ordained to give us that endurance. And then he shows up with the comfort to console us. Now, when that combination happens and people see it in the world, Paul refers to it as the aroma or fragrance of Christ. It manifests through us, and it goes into every place. This is a chapter before in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to that to death, and to another, an aroma from life to life. <laughs> and who is adequate for these things? I'm glad you said that, Paul. You see, God leads us in Christ, listen here, through pain and suffering, through the valley of the shadow of death, through despair. And then in some strange way, we look around, and as we see these sufferings and trials and all this stuff, <clears throat> we feel supernaturally comforted by Christ in that affliction. That's weird. How is this possible? It's upside down. But that creates like the picture of the incense in the temple being a pleasing aroma flowing into the second holy place. It goes up the prayers of the saints, right? It fills the temple. Well, God's temple here, the one he has redeemed, earth, the aroma of that truth goes out into the world. We become the people through our endurance who permeate this fragrance so that people around us sense it they smell it, I guess you could say. And they're changed one way or the other. God will use it to turn them away from him, but he also uses it to bring them in. So forget what lies behind. Reach forward to what lies ahead. Press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, which if you are in Christ, your justification makes you perfect, then you need to have that attitude. And I guess we'll stop there for today. We'll continue, <coughs> excuse me, we'll continue next week with a bigger expanse on this, uh, on this concept of faith.
Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this message um, and getting me through it. And, and I thank you, Father, for um, knowing that your word never returns void. I pray, God, that you would give us uh, that spirit of endurance. And I pray, God, that you would give us a clear picture of the new heavens and new earth and a clear picture of not only the promise that we will be there, Lord, but the promise of the Holy Spirit that you've given us to guide us and to fill us with what we need in order to endure. So, Father, I pray a blessing over this congregation that we would be one that does not shrink back to destruction, but that we move forward, Lord, without looking back, knowing whose we are and knowing why we're doing it, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name.